Yo, what up? It's your boy, Cool Shep. This podcast is brought to you by my boy, Joey T and Tyrese Maxi. But right now, you know, we just maxing on the courts, hailing from the streets of South Philly. Sometimes it gets a little hectic out there. But right now, we go up you on how we just chill. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back into another edition of Trust the Podcast. I am your host, Joe Tooman, as always. It's been couple weeks since I put out a Trust the Podcast episode, but I am back for a very special occasion because the NBA All-Star Game is coming up. The voting for the All-Star Game will be finalized on January 21st, this Saturday. And ahead of that, before they announce the the teams officially, I wanted to give my predictions, who I think is most deserving of being named an All-Star in each conference this season. So that's what I'm going to be doing on this episode of the podcast, just given my All-Star teams for this season. And that starts, we can start in the Eastern Conference that has to start with the starting lines for each conference because, you know, even though we have the all-star draft when it comes to the actual game, they still make you pick uh, the starters based off the positions in each conference. So you have to have five guys from the East, five guys from the West, even though the all-star game is no longer played in that format. It's played in the draft format. So starting with the East, who I think should be the starters. Now, when Chris Reynolds came on the podcast uh, a couple episodes back, we were discussing how competitive the East All-Star race is because you can only have three of the four elite MVP caliber frontcourt guys as starters. Someone has to come off the bench. Now, Kevin Durant is dealing with an injury. He has his MCL sprain. He is out about two more weeks, but he should be back in time for the All-Star game. So as long as he wants to play in the All-Star game and doesn't pull out of it due to the injury concern, due due to any precautions he might have, he should still be in line to be a starter. So I don't I can't I didn't want to just say Durant is not the starter because he's hurt because I do think he'll be back in time for that All-Star game. So who are my three All-Star starters in the front court? Who am I going to move to the bench? So first things first. Joel Embiid, the process himself is absolutely an All-Star starter and I will not have any I will not have anyone tell me otherwise. Embiid is He's putting up a career-high points per game, 33.6. He led the league in points per game a year ago, averaging 30 points. Now he's improved upon that mark by three points. And people are, la- people are acting like he isn't as good as he was last year. They're continuing to not want to put him in the MVP conversation. It's despicable what the, me- the national media is willing to do to our guy Joel Embiid, but this is a Sixers podcast first. And you can call me biased, but I also think just watch the Sixers play. The team is, has, has its flaws, and yet Embiid drags them through the mud time and time again. We were missing Harden, we were missing Maxi, and yet this team has stayed atop the Eastern Conference standings, very much in line for a potential home court advantage in the playoffs, and that's very much to do with Embiid. He's also putting up 10 rebounds, 4 assists, 2.7 stocks, steals plus blocks, and as usual, his free throw attempts are through the roof, 11.8 free throw attempts. For him on the season, he's shooting 35% from three-point range, 85% at the line. For a big man to shoot that many free throws and make them at that rate, I know this is well documented, but it's hard to do. Not many bigs who shoot that many free throws have been as effective as Embiid. He's basically a guard at the free throw line. His touch is like very few others, and I think that's really a really important part about how much Embiid gets to the line because not only does he get to the line at an elite level, but he converts them at an elite level. So... Joel Embiid continues to be an MVP caliber player, and I hope this is the year he finally gets his MVP award. But we're not here to talk about the regular season awards today. We're just talking about the All-Stars. So Embiid is one of my starters. Another guy who is a starter 
is Jason Tatum, the best player on the best team in the league, the Boston Celtics. 33-12 and 12 this season. Uh, the Celtics have been setting the standard all year in the NBA. The Celtics, uh, Tatum's leading the way, shooting 47% from the field, 35 from three. He's averaging 8.6 free throw attempts per game. That's a career high. He's averaging 31 points, eight rebounds, and four assists. An above average defensive rating, 1.8 steals and blocks. Simple stuff from Tatum, but it's also the career best, a career best uh, output from Tatum because he was already great last year, helped the Celtics make the finals. But statistically, he's gone up another level. And rebounding the ball, I'm going to get to this with Jalen Brown in a sec as well, but just just to let you in on that, Jalen Brown's put up seven rebounds, Tatum eight. I mean, these guys aren't bigs. The, 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 these guys aren't playing in the post very often, but the fact that both of those guys show so much effort on the defensive board, so, so much effort keeping plays alive, etc. And when your two best players are set in the culture like that, that's why the Celtics are so good. Obviously, as Sixers fans, we don't want to see Boston, you know, succeed and maybe win a championship, their first championship since 2008. But at the same time, you got to give credit where credit's due, and that team has been awesome all season. Tatum's in the All-Star game, and he's a starter. So the final All-Star starting spot in the front court, it comes down to two guys who are top 75 players of all time, uh, arguably maybe talent-wise the two best players in the league just in general, Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo. As I mentioned, Durant's currently out with the injury, but he's played 39 games this year. He hasn't missed too much time. Uh, he's actually shooting a career-high percentage from the field, 56%, and he's also the NBA's best free-throw shooter at 93%. 30 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 1.5 blocks. He's got an above-average defensive rating, so the advanced stats uh, check out there with the blocks. And, you know, I've heard some people say they think this is the best Kevin Durant's ever been. I, I think that's hearsay. You look at what he was doing with uh, Golden State, just having so much talent around him. Plus, he will, he was at the peak of his powers before the Achilles tear. Uh, just having that talent around him, plus being where he was in his career, I think that was his peak. He was the That was the peak of him as a two-way player. That's where he won his championships. That's where he looked the most dominant to me. But this version of him, at least offensively, isn't that much far behind. Uh, and that's kind of terrifying because I was ready to write the Nets off as contenders. Uh, you know, that has to do with my hatred of Ben Simmons, my detesting of Kyrie Irving. I mean, probably my two least favorite players in the NBA play for the Nets. Plus Durant, I mean, if any of you listening have listened to this podcast or heard me talk about basketball, I mean, I absolutely respect Kevin Durant, but he's not always a guy I want to root for. So I, I think I even told Chris a month ago that I wouldn't have, I would make Durant the guy who comes off the bench in this All-Star game and start Giannis and Bede and Tatum. I have changed my course on that because I don't know if Giannis is really truly at fault for what's going on with the Bucks right now, but the matter of the fact is Giannis is not having the statistical output he has in years past. His, all of his stats are down. The Bucks are only 29-16, and 16, which is still pretty good. They're absolutely a playoff team, and maybe, just maybe, if Chris Middleton can finally get healthy, if they can get some other guys healthy— get Joe Ingles fully, I mean, he already looks great, but just get him fully acclimated, etc. Maybe they can look like finals contenders again. But ever since uh, about a month ago, they've kind of been a 500 team after such a great start to the season. Giannis has played 35 games. He's shooting 52% from the field, 24% from three, 65% from the free throw line. Without thinking about it, you might, sound, you might say those are normal numbers for Giannis. All of those numbers are down. I mean, just to look at last year, I believe he shot 57% from the field, 29 from three, and around 72 from the line. He is shooting a career-high 13 free throws attempts. But as I mentioned with Embiid, Embiid shoots 12 free throws, 
he makes 85% of them. Giannis shoots 13, he, ma- he makes 65. So he's almost, he's barely making more than he misses. And when you're shooting that many, that means people want you at the line. And I love Giannis. I, I called him the best player in the, in the league a year ago. He's still certainly in that race. Uh, by season's end, I might stick to that. But right now, he's definitely not the clear-cut number one anymore just because uh, he has been faltering a little bit here. Now, I don't think that's all his fault. I think with Middleton being out of the lineup, with Drew Holiday being banged up, Giannis has had to take on maybe a bigger load than ever, and that's caused his percentages to go down. It's caused him to be more tired. I will say he's still an, an elite defensive player. Uh, 107 defensive ratings, well above the league average. The Bucks are the number three defensive team in the league. But and Giannis is still getting his 31 points per game. But when when you're when you're in such a close competition, when when Embiid, Durant, and Tatum are playing this well. Giannis being slightly worse than he was before with those three guys being arguably better than they were a year ago, especially in Embiid and Tatum's case, I think Giannis, that makes him the guy. He, that's, he's the odd man out, and he's the sixth man for the Eastern Conference all-star team, uh, or at least uh, he's not a starter. I mean, once again, the whole Eastern Conference thing doesn't matter because they're going to draft the players in the all-star draft. But with that aside, that's my argument from the front court. I think Giannis should come off the bench. And now I have to address the two starting guards in the Eastern Conference. One of those players is very obvious to me. That's Donovan Mitchell of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I would say he was part of arguably the biggest trade of the offseason. I don't even think it's that arguable. It's such an impact move for Cleveland to add him to an already really good team. The Cavs are the number one defense in opponent points per game allowed. They're the number two team in defensive rating as a team. Uh, Donovan Mitchell looks rejuvenated as a two-way player. He's already such a great offensive player, although this is probably his best season offensively, and he's also seemed to get those defensive hound instincts back now that he's playing alongside such great defenders like Mobley and Allen and a guy like Garland who brings the best out of everyone uh, around him. So Donovan Mitchell, 28 points a game, 5 assists, 1.4 steals, shooting very efficiently from the field, 48-39-87 splits. He could easily get to 50-40-90 if he has a really hot month or something coming up. I'm I'm glad to see this from him because he's gone up a level. It might have to do with the teammates around him being better than ever, but it also has to do with him. He, he bought into the Cleveland system, and he is their best player. And really, offensively, they are going to go as far as he can take them. They lost to the Grizzlies just last night without Mitchell. He was out of that game. They only lost by one point. I mean, you, you figure if he's in that game, they win the game. So that was a game that it, it was noticeable that he wasn't there, but it also shows a lot about Cleveland that they competed so well even without him. So I don't know. Donovan Mitchell, to me, is a shoe-in for the all-star starting guard spot in the East. Now, looking at the other spot, I was considering both Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brown, but I was I looked at the Celtics' um, starting lineups, and Derek White usually starts alongside Marcus Smart. So I guess that makes Jalen Brown a forward this year. Now, once again, positions very odd in the NBA at this point. I mean, to me, it's point guards, centers, and then everybody else is a wing. Jalen Brown is a wing. It's kind of weird to put a position on Jalen Brown, but technically speaking, he is a forward. So that means Tyrese pretty much gets the starting guard spot, uh, and I, I, I'm thrilled for it for him because he's been awesome. He's one of my favorite players that isn't on the Sixers. He's only 22 years old, and he's already pretty much the best pure point guard in the NBA now that Chris Paul has kind of dwindled. Tyrese has played 40 games. He is hurt right now, but he, it's not a long-term injury. He'll be back shortly. He's shooting 48 from the field, 40 from three, 88% on his free throws. 
He is 20 points a game and 10 assists. He leads the NBA in assists per, in assists per game with 10.2. He, he contributes defensively, 1.8 steals per game. Uh, if you go to uh, this site I've been using, Crafted NBA has like every advanced stat you'll ever want to look at. Uh, I, I try not to rely on those, but I was looking at Tyrese. Every advanced passing stat you'll find, he's in at least the 90th percentile, and then he goes up to the 95th and the 100th and some percentiles as well. He's pretty much, pound for pound, the best creator in the NBA this season. Now, James Harden on the Sixers, I know this is a Sixers podcast. I don't want to undermine our guy because if you look at Harden's assists per game, he actually has more than Tyrese, but Tyrese has played like 15 more games than James Harden. So in terms of like the qualifying stats, Tyrese has more total assists, and he also, I guess they're giving it to him for now. Now, maybe if Harden catches up in games played, he'll be able to catch uh, and take that, ti- take that title from Tyrese. But for now, Tyrese is regarded as the best passer in the league. The Pacers are 23-22, and 22, which isn't, like, amazing. Or, excuse me, 23-23. and 23. They're currently the ninth seed. But that's a lot better than a lot of people thought the Pacers were going to be. At 500 in the Western Conference, they might be the sixth seed right now. I mean, everybody in the West is so jumbled. But the East is so good that the Pacers find themselves currently as a play-in team. But the reason they're that good starts with Tyrese. He makes everyone on this team better. Miles Turner is having the best offensive season of his career. A lot of people were trying to trade him out of Indiana, saying they should trade him to get some younger assets. He's turned in a great performance this season with Tyrese. I mean, rookies like Nemhard and Ben Matherin are, are benefiting. Buddy Heald as a catch-and-shoot guy. Tyrese just... He's elevated the shooters, he's elevated the bigs on the Pacers, and it's made them into a real competitive team. I think he's a starter in the East this year. Then you move on to Jalen Brown. He's a guy I think is an all-star. He's definitely coming off the bench for me because I don't think he can catch, as I said, all those other forwards in the East. But this is the best season of his career. 27 points per game, 7 rebounds, as I mentioned earlier. He's shooting 59% from two-point range. Now, only 33% from three. His three-point woes from a few seasons ago have returned. But when the Celtics are playing this well, and when he's contributing as highly as he is on both ends, I kind of don't care. He's a prototypical defensive forward in this league. He's the type of player every team wants on their team where he can guard point guards, he can guard fast guys, but he can also be a defensive stopper on the wing. So Jalen Brown... I think he's pretty much lived up to the potential the Celtics saw in him when they drafted him third overall. A lot of people compared him to Paul George, that type of player. There's certain, I would say Paul George is a better playmaker. Maybe that's the piece Jalen Brown hasn't reached. But as a scorer, at this point, I would say Jalen Brown's there and he has lived up to that potential. And that's all the credit in the world to him, all the credit in the world to the Celtics. So he's an all-star for me. Another guy I've got. Pascal Siakam of the Toronto Raptors. He's the NBA's minutes per game leader for the second year in a row. Nick Nurse is just running that man into the ground. But when he's playing as well as he is, it's almost justified. Pascal's put up 25 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, 1.4 steals and blocks combined. He's shooting 47% from the field, only 32% on threes. But I'm not super worried about that because of the way Siakam's evolved as a defender and a passer over the past few years, has kind of made up for his lack of outside shooting. Uh, His free throw attempts per game, I'm a big free throw attempts per game guy. They've skyrocketed from 5.6 to 8.5 this season. He's shooting eight free throws a game, getting to the line. Um, It comes down for the Raptors for me that I think people want to want to look down on their team, and rightfully rightfully so, because Siakam plays so many minutes, people are like, well, of course he's getting those stats. 
But the fact that his creation numbers are as good as they are when the Raptors have almost nobody who can make a shot, their entire bench is basically just a bunch of tall forwards who are shooting under 30% from three. I mean, you look at Boucher, you look at Banton, you look at Wancho, all these guys can't make a shot, and it's very bizarre. And the fact that Siakam is still playing as well as he is on both ends of the court, I think, is tells a lot about him. And I think the Raptors, they look like they might be rebuilding or at least retooling soon. I wouldn't be trading Siakam. I would keep him. I think he's a real star in this league. And he just needs some better teammates so he can really start to show it. So he's an all-star in my eyes. Another guy I think is an all-star that wasn't hard to put on my team was DeMar DeRozan for the Bulls. He's getting his pretty much his standard stats at this point. 26 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, shooting 50% from the field. He shoots 18 shots a game. Only one of them are three-pointers. He is a man out of time, but it doesn't matter. He's He's... He's carrying on 90s basketball, and he's making it effective. I mean, if DeMar's scoring like this and the Bulls aren't terrible, he has to be an all-star in my opinion. I don't think it's something you can really discuss. So coming down to the last few spots here for the Eastern Conference All-Stars, I think Darius Garland has to be an all-star once again this season. I've heard some people say he shouldn't be. He's, he's played 36 games, only missed about six contests, and that was with an eye injury. He got poked in the eye early in the season. To me... I, I think he's one of the he's right there behind Halliburton for for just masterful creators for their team makes everyone better. I touched on it with Mitchell. He's shooting forty five percent from the field, forty percent from three. He's a guy who doesn't necessarily have to score, but if he's asked to score, if he's asked to step up, he absolutely can be that guy. Twenty one points, eight assists per game, getting it on, getting his numbers both scoring and passing the ball. Um, shot quality is an interesting stat I was looking at for him. He's in the 92nd percentile of shot quality, which basically means that he doesn't take dumb shots ever. Like He's he's very much a masterful point guard where he, he creates for others and he's only going to look for himself when he knows he can get a bucket. And Darius Garland is so good that a lot of the times when he knows he's going to get a bucket, he's right. <laughs> because when you have Mitchell opposite him, that's such a... I love that backcourt. I think it's the best backcourt in the league. I don't think that's a discussion. Those two guys complement each other so well. I'm glad to see Cleveland succeeding. I'm really hoping Cleveland doesn't have to play the Sixers in the playoffs because obviously I'd pull for the Sixers, but I love what Cleveland has been doing this year, so I hope Darius Garland continues to succeed. So for my final two spots in the East, this is where it gets interesting. So there's three guys I've really, I'm really looking at, and that's Jalen Brunson on the New York Knicks, Bam Adebayo for the Heat, and then Kristaps Porzingis on the Wizards. Now, J- Jimmy Butler is another guy that probably should be considered, but he's only played 31 games. And when you look at all these other guys I've mentioned in the East, they've all played in the high 30s or low 40s in games played. And I think Jimmy Butler, he's kind of dis- gets himself disqualified for playing so many fewer games, almost 10 fewer games than a lot of these guys. Now, his teammate in BAM has had to shoulder a lot of offensive load this year, more than ever. 53% shooting from the field for him, 21 points, 10 rebounds. His playmaking just isn't what it used to be. Three assists, he's turning the ball over more than he has over the past few seasons. Now, you could argue that's because Jimmy's been out of the lineup. Guys like Kyle Lowry or even worse, guys like Duncan Robinson and Haywood Highsmith, all these guys that are in their rotation that just can't make shots right now. You could blame it on them and be like, how's BAM supposed to playmake? when he doesn't have anyone who can shoot the three. I hear that, but the stats are stats. The Heat are not in the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. 
They're not the team they've been over the past few years, and Bam isn't the pastor he's been over the past few years. And to me, that was a lot of what made him appealing as an offensive player. I understand he's scoring 21 points per game, but I just don't feel like Bam as the number one option on your team is healthy. And until Jimmy gets all the way back in, that's not going to be good for the Heat. So he is still a great defender. I mean, he can guard five positions. He's maybe even the best defensive big in the league. Uh, But ultimately... I'm inclined to give these final two spots to Brunson and Porzingis, and I'll explain why. Brunson, for me, everyone bemoaned the signing, which I really didn't get. I thought Brunson was such a good player last season for the Mavericks, especially in the playoffs. He proved he can be a point guard. He he proved he can create for others. But he also proved, similar to Garland, that when the shots are there for him, he's very capable of making them. He is scoring more than I think anyone ever thought he would in, in the pros. 22 points a game. He's also putting in six assists a game. And Brunson's not a defender. I mean, I understand that, but that's not what the Knicks ask of him. They ask him to be the point guard, the quarterback of the offense. And that's a position the Knicks have been looking to fill for over a decade. And he's come in and, and done it very, very well. He's shooting very efficiently, 47 from the field, 39 from three. So... I think Jalen Brunson's an all-star. The Knicks, the Knicks are going to be a top six seed in the East. They have to be recognized some way, and I think Brunson deserves that recognition. He's restored, he's helped restore Julius Randle back to closer to the player we saw two years ago than the player we saw last year, and he's just made a lot of guys better. So I think Jalen Brunson is an all-star. And then I'm going to give Kristaps Porzingis, who has been remarkably healthy for Kristaps Porzingis, 39 games played this season. He is shooting 47% from the field, 81% from free throw uh, from the free throw line. Since coming over to the Wizards, his career his career average of free throws per game in Dallas and New York was only around four. He's shooting about seven free throws a game over his season and a half in Washington. That's important stuff because when you're as big as Porzingis, a lot of the time, especially in Dallas, Porzingis would just settle for for three point shots, and it's not that he's not shooting those anymore. But the fact that he's willing to go to the basket, get contact, he's not scared of, you know, falling over and getting injured. He's willing to go to the line in Washington. Whatever reason, he's comfortable in that system. And it's benefiting him. 22 points a game for him this year. Nine rebounds. His his rim deterrent stats are back to what they were in his early days with the Knicks. He's in the upper echelon of protecting the rim on multiple in multiple metrics and including just blocks per game, 1.5. But you can also look at how how effective players are at shooting around the rim against him. He makes people worse when they step into the paint. And the Wizards, are they bad? Do people want to say they're they're not relevant? I guess that's fair, but the Wizards are not a bottom feeder. They are they're still in the playoff hunt this year. They're still in the play in mix. They beat the Knicks the other night. I think Kristaps is deserve is deserving of this all-star berth. I understand that Bam's probably a better player, but I just don't think with with what he's been given, I don't think you can make an argument that he's an all-star this year because it's not his fault. It's a similar argument to what I was saying earlier about Giannis, where is Giannis necessarily not an all-star starter? Is Could he still be the best player in the league? Yes, but with this, what he's been given in Milwaukee has kind of lowered him down this year where he's not an all-star starter, and it's the same for Bam. Bam's probably an all-star player, but with, with what he's been working with in Miami, it's kind of limited what he can do, and that might make him not an all-star in a very crowded 12-man. You can only pick 12 guys out of this huge Eastern Conference field. There's so many good players in the East. I mean, Drew Holiday, James Harden. James Harden's dealt with injuries, but 
Guys like that, I don't have on my all-star teams. And with those reasons in mind, that's why I think Porzingis is more deserving of this final 12th all-star spot. So that's my reason for why I have Porzingis in there. And that would conclude my Eastern Conference all-star ballot. So those are my picks for the East. Now to move over to the Western Conference. It's funny because my criteria for the West was almost completely different than my criteria for the East. And the reason for that, the reason I say that, is because when you look at the Western Conference, a lot of the best players missed a lot more time than over in the East, where I just said Jimmy Butler, James Harden, you want to throw Kyrie in there as well. Those guys can't be all-stars because they've missed, you know, eight games, 10 games, 12 games, whatever it is. Over in the West, I would say half my roster for the Western All-Stars probably missed a lot of games. And you can say maybe that maybe that shows, maybe it's unfair to Jimmy Butler that I'm holding him to a different standard based on the conference he plays in. I understand that doesn't really necessarily make sense. But over in the West, as I'm about to explain, like, would you rather have Steph Curry be an All-Star or Aaron Gordon? So it's like, it's almost a totally different argument. And I know that's weird because they're all playing the same sport. But with that in mind, I just wanted to put that out there. So... For my Western Conference All-Stars, I'll start with the guards here. I think Luka and Ja are the clear-cut starting guards in the West. Ja Morant, the Memphis Grizzlies are 31-13. They're not too far behind the Celtics for the best record in the league. Ja's played 37 games. He's averaging 27 points, 5 rebounds, 8 assists. He's shooting 47% from the field. He is only shooting 32% from 3. And I've said before, I think Ja's next step, he's an athletic freak. He's one of the most dangerous players on the court at any moment the next step for him is the outside shooting because that's what can elevate him to maybe even like a top five top six player in the league but until he gets that I wouldn't put him there but nonetheless just the the heart and soul of the Grizzlies is what Ja is and he's he continues to lead them to great heights you know Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain have been out with injuries at time this season and Memphis has still been able to be awesome and that's that's that speaks to their depth but it also speaks to Ja's um incredible play. Now, Luka, on the other end, he's the other guard I got for the West here. He's played 41 games. He's shooting 50 from the field, 35% from three, and he's only while he only shoots 73% from the line, which I, I think he should be better. Um, well, I think he needs to be better down the line. Um, his free throw attempts per game have improved dramatically, up from 7 to 11 this season. 11 is legit, and that's that's some MVP level stuff. Uh, Luca's averaging a league high 33.7 points per game. He's he's just edging out Embiid for the league leader in points per game. He's also averaging nine rebounds, nine assists. There's not much more you can say about him. Dallas, their whole team's role players. They lost Brunson. I just talked about him earlier. Uh, they have an okay roster, but they're hovering around 500. The West is very jam packed, and Luca is the reason they're in the race for the playoffs right now. He is. He's definitely in the MVP race. There's a lot of guys in the MVP race this season because there's so many guys having a great year. I don't know if you, I would give it to him or not. As I said, I, I want to be the win it, so he's probably my pick as of now. Just I, It's a little biased, but he's probably my pick. But Luka's right in that race. Him and Ja are both in the 100th percentile of offensive load, which basically means those guys are doing everything for their team this season. I would say Luka... That applies to even more than Josh. So I think those two guys have been absolutely incredible, and they are the starters uh, for me in the backcourt in the West. Jokic is here. He has to be. It's not even a debate. Probably a top three, top four player in the NBA in my eyes. 62% shooting from him from the field, 37% from three, 82 at the line. He's 25 points a game, 11 assists, or excuse me, 11 rebounds, and just under 10 assists, 9.9 assists. He's basically averaging a triple-double. Uh, he's played 41 games, hasn't really missed a lot of time, 
Denver's right there uh, in the West. They're the one seed right now. Memphis is on their tail. Um, but Jokic, he's a generational passer. He's the best creator we have in the NBA right now. The way he elevates his teammates is more... I mean, I talked about Hal Burton earlier at the point guard position, but Jokic has a different gravitas because he's doing it from the center position. He can get the, the shots to the guys on the perimeter. And then every now and again, Jokic will just explode for his own scoring explosion. I mean... We've seen him in the playoffs put up 28 points per game some years. So he, it's not even that he can't score because he's a very good low post scorer, very good mid-range shooter, and a solid enough three-point shooter. It's just his talents, his scoring talents, aren't even close to his number one talent. I mean, at the end of the day, he is a facilitator first, and that's what makes him so unique as a player. And I, I am a big Jokic guy. I still would rather have him bead, but... Jokic is right there. It's just like Hakeem Olajuwon. I've compared it to Hakeem Olajuwon versus David Robinson in the 90s before. Both those players were so damn good. They were so close to each other. It's stupid to debate it all the time. I only do it because of the whole MVP thing. I mean, Hakeem and David Robinson both got the win MVPs. Hopefully Embiid gets the win MVP at some point. But with that aside, Jokic, I would say best player in the Western Conference this year, absolutely deserves to be an all-star starter. Another guy, another big man I've got in the Western Conference, all-star starters for me. Domantis Sabonis of the Sacramento Kings. The Kings are now the three seed in the West after their win the other night. They're 25-18. and 18. Sabonis, 19 points per game. An NBA league leader, uh, the league leader in rebounds per game, 12.6, plus seven assists. He's basically mini Jokic right now. An offensive rating of 134, which is absolutely through the roof. He's shooting 61% from the field. Uh, he is only shooting around, I think, like one three-pointer a game, but he's making 37% of those. In the past, he's been much lower, so that's a slight improvement. Um, and across the board, the Kings, they're way better. Like they didn't, they haven't made the playoffs since 2006, and now Sabonis has them on track to be potentially a home court advantage team. The the Beam team has been a total hit among all basketball fans. You don't even have to be a Kings fan; everyone's aboard for this really fun Kings run. Everyone wants them to succeed, and in my opinion, I mean, I certainly do. And it's weird because I already talked about Halliburton earlier. That was the big trade last year. And yes, I think I would still rather have Halliburton in a vacuum. Of course I would. I think just because he's younger, he's already this good, you would rather have him. But this that, that trade made both teams better, especially the Kings. I don't think the Kings, with a team of Halliburton, Fox, Barnes, Keegan Murray, and then, say, Rashawn Holmes or Chimezie Metu as the starting center or some random veteran they would have signed, they're not this good because Sabonis' playmaking has elevated this team. They did the, they made the right moves to surround him with shooters with Kevin Herter, Malik Monk coming in, drafting Keegan, and then Fox running the point. Those two guys as creators has made this team so much fun to watch, such a good feel-good story, and Sabonis is their best player, and he has gotten them to this point, and he is the the main reason for how good they've been. He is the centerpiece, so he absolutely deserves to be an all-star starter in my eyes. And the final Western Conference all-star starter at the forward position I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with LeBron James. <laughs> I, I, I definitely thought about it. I'm going to talk about the guy I was thinking about in a moment here, but LeBron, even with his three-point percentage going way down to 29% this year, the Lakers, 20 and 25, they started a lot worse than that. They've kind of made some leeway. I mean, Anthony Davis is injured once again right now, so it's not like LeBron has another star opposite him right now. He's putting up 30 points a game, eight rebounds, seven assists. Yes, athletically, he's not the same guy. Defensively, this might be the worst we've seen him yet, and obviously the shooting touch being as bad as it is is very strange. I don't know why he's under 30%. But he's still LeBron James. 
He can still get he can still get to the basket whenever he wants. He's chasing Kareem's scoring record, and he's also it's just the instincts as a passer. As he every year he gets smarter as a player. He's seen so much. He's been around for twenty years. He's he's a top two player of all time. He's LeBron James, and I don't know. I I don't think LeBron should be in the MVP race. I don't think he's a first team All NBA guy this year. But he's in. Is he an All Star starter? Yes, he absolutely is still in that conversation. I would put him as an all-star starter this year. So moving to my bench picks uh, for the Oklahoma City Thunder, Shea Gilgis Alexander has to be on this te- has to be on the all-star team this year. Thirty points a game from him, another double-digit free throw guy, ten free throws a game, an easy career high for him. Uh, he also contributes very well defensively, one point seven steals, and if you check out his advanced numbers, the deflections, the the defensive rating, they're all there for him. Uh, he's very. I think he's very underrated in that in that space. I mean, everyone wants to talk about his scoring explosion this year, and rightfully so because he's been fantastic for the Thunder. He's got them in the play the play in race, but he is a two way player. He's very much a two way player. That started when he was on the Clippers, uh, as he was kind of a role player that year with them, and it's only expanded from there. But thirty points a game for him. He's shooting fifty percent from the field, ninety one percent from the free throw line only three of his 20 shots per game are three pointers which is interesting I didn't really realize that about him I'm not gonna lie but he has he is a deadly mid-range shooter I knew that I just thought he was shooting more threes I think that's the next step for his game if he can take another step uh because unlike DeMar DeRozan he doesn't have a decade of playing in the NBA where the mid-range was okay I mean he's still a younger player that can definitely add to his game I think he should be adding that outside shot just like John Moran I think those two guys really need to add that three-point shot, not because they're not good right now. They're both fantastic. But if they want to rise to MVP-level players, just add that extra piece I think would go a long way. But that small criticism aside, SGA's been fantastic. And the Thunder, I'm glad that they didn't trade him so they could keep tanking because I was saying the right move, you got to keep this young stud guard. I'm glad they did. Another guy who's had a great breakout year, and I considered for him to start in this All-Star game, in my opinion, over LeBron James, but I just couldn't get there, but he's certainly an All-Star. Laurie Bird himself, Laurie Markkinen of the Utah Jazz, I would pick him for most improved player this season. I don't even think it's a contest. He is taking on an offensive role with the Jazz that I don't think anyone saw coming. I certainly didn't see coming. He's shooting 42% from the field while taking seven threes a game, a substantial uh, sample size, while he's also shooting nine two-pointer attempts a game, and making 60% of those. He's got splits of 52, 42, 87. He's, if he just starts making a few more free throws, he's going to be a 50, 40, 90 guy this season for the Utah Jazz. He's also an underrated defender, at least as a rim protector. I, w- I wouldn't trust him on the perimeter. You don't want him matched up against guards, that's for sure. But when it, when it comes to protecting the rim, players shoot 13% worse when he contests them at the rim, and he contests 46% of all shots uh, at the rim. that like Basically, when people are driving, he contests 46% of those shots. Those are good numbers. Those are well above the league average if you look at those advanced stats. And I try not to go to the advanced stats for everything, but when, you, when, when Laurie's already passing the eye test and then you look at those numbers and you're like, oh, he's also doing this really well too, it just adds to what's really a great case for him to be the most improved player and also an all-star this season. Utah... Everyone expected them to be tanking for Wembenyama. Instead, they're like, we're cool with all the picks Cleveland and Utah, uh, excuse me, Cleveland and Minnesota gave us. We're just going to play to win, and Larry Markkinen's got them in the playoff race right now. So those are my first seven guys. This is when we get into the guys who've dealt with injuries. Steph Curry, 
I mean, he's Stephen Curry. How, how am I not going to put him on my all-star team? But he has only played in 30 games. He's averaging 29 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, making 42% of his threes, 91% of his free throws. He's the best point guard in the league. He's the reigning NBA Finals MVP. He's Steph Curry. I don't really have to say much more. But, I mean, we see the impact uh, his absence has on the Warriors in the standings. But I don't think you can leave Steph Curry off the All-Star team. Jimmy Butler, as great of a player as he is, I think he has more competition in the East where I was okay leaving him off. Steph Curry, no. You can't leave him off the All-Star team. Him not being a starter over a John Morant is punishment enough. Steph Curry is an All-Star this season. Same goes for Devin Booker. 29 games played for him. The Suns have cratered without him. He's putting up 27 points a game, 5 assists, shooting 47% from the field. The Suns, obviously they need their best player back. I mean, that's not, same with the Warriors, but that's not rocket science to say. But both of those guys, to me, are top 10 players in the NBA. And Booker, yeah, I think Booker's top 10 at this point. So both of those guys, to me, absolutely all-stars this year. Another guy I have, Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers, making his return this season. He dealt with the injury last year. Portland's floundered a bit lately, but Dame's putting up 29 a game, the second highest mark of his career, seven assists. He's played 32 games. He's averaging a career high 8.3 free throw attempts a game, shooting 45% from the field, 90 at the line. Um, I just think he's still a lethal scoring option, and for me, that's enough to make my all-star team. I, I... I don't think I would have put Dame on my Eastern Conference All-Star team. I think him he's in the similar vein of Jimmy Butler, that level of player. Both great players, but they're not Steph Curry's where I feel like I could have left Dame off my Eastern All-Star team because of the games played. But out in the West, as I'm going to explain in a moment, I just don't think there's a lot of guys I'd want in his spot. So I'm going to reward him for his bounce-back season. I think he's an All-Star. Another guy, though this is the last guy of this group, but one more guy that I don't care about his injuries the Pelicans are going to be a home court advantage team. They need to have an all-star. And Zion Williamson is their best player. He's only played 29 games. But the guy, he looks, you know, he missed all of last season. He's right back into it this year. He's a bulldozer of a human being, putting up uh, 26 points a game, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 61% from the field, 71 at the line. The Pelicans are 26-19, and 19, one of the most dominant players we have in the, in the paint right now in the NBA. And he's got the Pelicans going places. I mean, Brandon Ingram's missed a lot of time. Zion's missed his, his own fair share of time, but not as much as Ingram, and he's kept the, Zion has kept that team alive, in my opinion. And that brings me to my final all-star pick for the Western Conference. What a world we live in where I am saying that the Sacramento Kings should have two all-stars after they haven't made the playoffs since I was three years old, but De'Aaron Fox, in my opinion, it was down to him and C.J. McCollum for me, but I decided to reward Zion, make him the Pelicans all-star, and I think De'Aaron Fox has a stronger case than C.J., CJ had a, a, a slow CJ had a slow start to the season where Fox has been pretty consistent most of the year. Fox is shooting 51% from the field, averaging 24 points and 6 assists. He's also a pretty instrumental part of Sacramento's defense in terms of out of the backcourt on the perimeter, getting steals, things of that nature. I think Fox is a better passer and a better defender than CJ, and CJ's my guy. I love CJ, one of my favorite players. I pray that one day he gets the All-Star nomination I was thinking about just making him the Pelicans all-star because he's, he's had a great year, career-high in assists, shooting well from three as always. I just couldn't bring myself to say CJ deserves this over Zion. Even with Zion's missed time, I, I just felt I wouldn't, I wouldn't be being truthful if I gave CJ that all-star nod. So 
It breaks my heart not to once again for for the seventh straight year, CJ McCollum's going to be playing really well, and yet he's not going to be an All Star both on my ballot and in the real life ballots. I I highly doubt CJ makes the All Star team, uh, but I do think Fox should make it. I think the Kings are playing really well. I don't think they're going to slow down. If anything, I think they're going to make a trade at the deadline and get better, and that's going to be a lot of fun to see. I'm excited to see playoff basketball return to Sacramento because we hear about all the wars they had with the Lakers in the early 2000s. I've like quite literally it's impossible that I would have ever watched a Kings basketball game live because as I mentioned they the drought's been going on for almost two decades so it's gonna be awesome to see it come to an end this year so that about wraps up my all-star predictions for this season it'll be really interesting to see how many of these I get right I'm sure I'll get most of them right but it's really those last few slots will the coaches will the fans have agreed with me we'll have to see when they unveil the rosters next week so that's going to do it for my predictions thank you guys for listening to this episode of trust the podcast thank you all for listening make sure to follow on spotify or apple podcast if you aren't already i'm excited to talk some more sixers coming up i know it's been a little while since i put an episode out and today wasn't about too much sixers besides Embiid. but going forward i'm gonna be getting right back in to the swing of things so thank you guys have a great rest of your day thanks for listening go sixers